Time once again for instant analysis on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryer, senior analyst following the Alabama Crimson Tide's 49-21 win over the Kentucky Wildcats up at Kroger Field in Lexington, Kentucky. Midday on Saturday, the Crimson Tide for the 15th time in program history will advance to the SEC championship game. That is a conference record and so much for an offense that maybe struggles to find its way out of the blocks, right? After these last two weeks, Alabama once again on offense, this time on the opening possession of the game, getting into the end zone. Touchdowns of plenty in this contest. I thought this might be a game in which we saw four, five, six field goals. Nope. Just extra points for Will Reichard from the Alabama perspective. And the Crimson Tide rolls to a 28-point win on the road. Tennessee Chattanooga coming up, probably in a good spot. We saw this Alabama team going into this game without a couple of defensive starters and Deontay Lawson, Jalen Key, Jermaine Burton ends up not making the trip due to illness. So some guys that we did see and didn't see on Saturday probably going to be able to make good use of this upcoming week with an FCS opponent set to visit Bryant-Denny Stadium. As always, we're welcome to your comments and questions here on Instant Analysis. If you'd like to jump on board, please feel free to do so. We'll get into some of the important aspects of this game. Certainly, a fast start was welcomed, and there was that carryover offensively for Alabama. Opening possession, able to hit a couple of key third downs, ran for one with Jace McClellan, uh, and then Jalen really started to do his things, both with his arms and his legs. He had the explosive run there where he took the shot on his thigh, and it seemed like for an extended period there in the first half, that might prove to be problematic. Seemed like between Jeff Allen and that medical staff for UA, they were able to loosen that thing up and free him up to do the things he does best, and some of that involves his legs. Three more rushing touchdowns for Jalen in this game. Uh, and three touchdown passes. So what is it? 10? I think it's 10 touchdowns accounted for in the last two games for Jalen Milrow. And again, to do it without Jermaine Burton was impressive. Although I think if there is a benefit to not having a true number one type, a guy that dominates targets on a weekend and week out basis is if you don't have that guy, it's almost like it is every week. It's not so much Next guy up, it's just who's going to be the guy this week because we've seen it with Isaiah Bond. We've seen it with Kobe Prentice. Malik Benson took a step up in the rotation on Saturday with Burton out. But really nice job by Jalen to spread the football around. Didn't like the interception there, although I think that's one of those plays where it's almost encouraging because he has such confidence in himself right now, which is what you want, obviously at this time of year, that it is a fundamental mistake to throw the football back over the middle of the field when you're working your way out of bounds. And it also kind of goes back to what I've talked about for a few weeks now. I know folks don't like Jalen taking sacks or running out of bounds when he could ditch the football. Sometimes, though, those work out better than throwing the football in any form or fashion. Although right there, you obviously want to see James Burnett get an opportunity to pin Kentucky deep down inside its own 20, if possible. Didn't play out that way, but you know, Jalen and the offense bounced back from it. A good mix, once again, 
on the offensive side when it came to the run game, whether it was Jalen with his legs at times, whether it was uh, Jace McClellan, whether it was uh, Roydell Williams. Uh, we saw some more of Jam Miller. It wasn't a prolific day of running the football. 159 rushing yards on 39 attempts. That comes out to 4.1 yards per carry. But the situational run game, when Alabama needed to be able to run it, both in red zone opportunities, those three rushing scores for Milrow. You had another one from Jam Miller as well. Alabama got it done and got it done on third down again, too. Big week last week against LSU on thirds, 11 of 14 against the Tigers. This week, 7 11. Yep, 7 of 11 for Alabama on thirds against the Kentucky defense. And then conversely, Alabama defensively without Deontay Lawson. Um, you know, without Jalen Key, I thought it would be interesting as we talked about on Thursday night tied with Clint Lamb, how maybe Kentucky would go about attacking this Alabama defense. Would there be a good bit of 12 personnel with two tight ends? Would there be 11? Because depending on the opponent leading up to Saturday, there was some variations there. I thought Kentucky against Georgia was more likely to be an 11 because not really a matchup with Georgia. If you want to go bigger personnel, that's not really what you want to do with Georgia. That's really not what you want to do with Alabama. Even these days, traditionally Nick Saban coached Alabama teams on the defensive side of the ball have been very effective against teams like LSU in the past when Les Miles was really big on 12 or 21 with a running back and a fullback and a tight end. Alabama seemed to hold up just fine to that approach. And really for the duration of Saturday's game, you know, the key, the first thing I wrote about in five predictions for Saturday's game was tackling Ray Davis. And Alabama did that extremely well. 12 carries for Ray Davis in the game for 26 yards. He did have the two touchdowns of the short yardage variety. So he did get in the end zone a couple of times, but once again, Alabama has had success against running backs in the run game, whether it was Jalen Wright for Tennessee. This was a similar sort of stat line uh, for Ray Davis as a Jalen Wright had, um, or maybe a Logan Diggs from last week. Nine carries, 24 yards. I think um, Davis in last year's game with Vanderbilt in Tuscaloosa, 11 carries, 17 yards. So really wasn't all that difference. Now, Kentucky did help its rushing numbers substantially by popping the 74-yarder there in the fourth quarter with Alabama's twos for the most part on the field. Ramon Jefferson with that 74-yarder, but man, give Caleb Downs a lot of credit on that play. You want to talk about uh, championship character in that situation with his team up big to still hustle and make that tackle like he did at the Alabama one. And it looked like it looked like Alabama might have forced a turnover right thereafter with uh, Christian Story with the hit on the back. And it looked like a subsequent fumble recovery. It was ruled that the player was down on the field, on the field. And so it was close. It was really close. I think that was one of those kind of like Kool-Aid McKinstry's muff punt in the first half. That was going to be a situation where whatever it was ruled on the field, that's what it was going to stay after review because there just wasn't going to be enough. And also, at the time of the fumble on the goal line, what is it, 49-14 Alabama? So uh, probably not going to spend a lot of time on those 
when the scoring clock is what it is. I know they're supposed to. That doesn't, I'm not excusing anybody, but it was close. I thought both of those were very close. And we talk about Alabama's special teams in the game. Again, no need for Will Reichard from a field goal perspective. James Burnup doing a nice job once again punting the football. Almost had one block there. I didn't like that. You know, I didn't like that. It looked like Alabama. I'm not a big motion guy on these punts, and, it, and it's not just Alabama. You see it more and more on special teams. I don't really understand. I'm sure there's a very good reason to motion in and motion out guys from your punt formations, uh, but Alabama does it. And I think Alabama had the numbers it wanted after doing that, uh, but still gave up a free runner at James Burnup, who was in this sort of semi-rugby mode. Uh, I don't know if that ball was tipped or not, because it looked like there might have been some contact with Burnup after the punt. But fortunate there to not have a punt blocked. Uh, McKinstry had the muff. Now, Nick Saban was really adamant in the post-game news conference that he thought it was more on the gunner for Alabama in that situation that was supposed to be providing protection to Kool-Aid McKinstry than it was Kool-Aid. What I saw anyway was Kool-Aid just maybe distracted. Ball went right through his arms and then kind of off of him. And then Kentucky's able to get on it before it goes out of bounds. But, you know, Nick's also trying to keep his guy in the right frame of mind. And it paid off because Kool-Aid came back later, had the 27-yarder. I thought that was much needed, perhaps for his psyche and his confidence. You know, there's things to take into account, though, too, when you're dealing with a return guy who is also just one of your top overall players. Now, you don't want to get into a situation, if you can help it, to sideline a guy at one spot, and then now perhaps there's a carryover into his primary position. But it worked out okay on Saturday. Again, Nick in the postgame adamant. He wasn't ready to throw Kool-Aid under the bus where that muff was concerned. So Alabama with a couple of turnovers in the game, that Milrow interception and Kool-Aid's muff of the punt, but still able to overcome it because uh, produced a couple of turnovers of its own. How about the interception slot corner position there? I think it was, what, second quarter? Hell of a play by Terry and Arnold, who finished with four solo tackles, a tackle for loss, and that interception. Um, Tarion also credited with a forced fumble. So uh, really good stuff. And it was a big forced fumble at the time. That really set the tone. If 14 to nothing didn't set the tone, um, that forced fumble by Tarion there uh, in the first quarter that was subsequently returned by Caleb Downs down inside the what? Kentucky two sets up the short touchdown plunge there. Uh, for Jalen Milrow on the tush push with 5-12 left, and it's 21 to nothing, the ideal start. You're getting it from the offense with Jalen initially taking what that Kentucky zone was giving him, then splitting that two-deep coverage with Amari Nyblack for 26 yards and a touchdown. Comes back, a little bit of an extended play to Kobe Prentice for 40 yards and a touchdown, and you get the turnover in the first quarter, sets you up on the doorstep, and Milrow makes good on that one as well. Now, again, Alabama did just enough things wrong to keep 
Kentucky within contact of the lead through about two and a half quarters, you know. Kentucky uh, benefited from mistakes. Jamarian Latham was hit with that personal foul for hitting Devin Leary in the head on a third down. That extended a drive. Uh, Kentucky also, uh, with a third down play that set up a fourth and short that it was able to convert before Ray Davis found the end zone for the first time. So at 28-14 there with 10-53 left in the third quarter, the game isn't over. But then Alabama essentially took over from there. Answered immediately, which was very important at 28-14. Go down and Milrow finds the end zone. Uh, and from that point forward at 35-14, you felt like Alabama would get home pretty safely. And also good in the fourth quarter, to be able to get all those guys some experience doesn't mean it was always beneficial uh, or, or productive, as we saw in the long run for Kentucky. You had some backup linebackers in there, although we did see Kendrick Blackshire before that possession. You know, with Deontay Lawson out, was going to be important for Trez Marshall and also Jihad Campbell to play at a high level. I thought they did for the most part. Uh, Jihad with five total tackles. He had a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, a quarterback hurry. You know, Tresman, I think it was that third and long we talked about just a minute ago that uh, that Leary was able to sort of escape there. And, and Trez had what looked to be a sure sack. You had about three Alabama guys there in a 28-7 game. Uh, Trez takes a little bit of an inside angle there, and Leary's able to escape, and that really went a long way in helping Kentucky extend that drive that ended up in the end zone, but uh, kind of a rotation in the secondary with Jalen Key out. You know, saw some Christian Story at safety uh, to go along with Caleb Downs. Um, still played Malachi at the star some. Still played Tarion at corner opposite Kool-Aid some, but then you rotated it in some ways where you still came with Trey Amos and played uh, Terry and Arnold inside. Certainly in the dime, that was going to be the expectation when you went to six defensive backs. But it almost felt situational. Maybe early downs versus passing downs, those type of things. And Kentucky kind of helps you with that because they are not a tempo offense. They are not hurry up in any form or fashion. So that was another benefit for Alabama this week was the opponent in that However, Alabama wanted to play down to down. They were going to have the opportunity to do that, to get those guys on and off the field because they weren't being rushed uh, as far as that goes. Hey, Lisa, checking in from Memphis. We appreciate it. Good to hear from you. And so Alabama now, as we talked about, looking ahead to next week. And in some ways, this is a good morale stretch for this football team in general. Because sort of unexpectedly, although Alabama has dominated this Kentucky series, as I wrote about and we talked about uh, during the latter stages of the week there at BamaOnline.com to an extent where I guess we shouldn't be surprised that you saw Ty Simpson for much of the fourth quarter. And you saw Ty, too, uh, when, when Jalen had to come out there early in the game. So good experience for Ty Simpson. I thought Ty looked sharp. Uh, I thought Ty did some good things with his legs. Ty looks increasingly comfortable in sort of managing that zone read centric type of attack and tons of value, tons of benefit in being able to get him some opportunities, uh, completed uh, one of three passes, um, 
for 51 yards. I guess it was 51, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, to Jalen Hale. He had the completion there. Jalen Hale, too, with Jermaine Burton out. We saw him a little bit earlier in the game. I like the continued emphasis on getting Kendrick Law involved via some easy touches. Uh, and, and they were able to do that. Alabama was once again. And again, I think situationally, Alabama ran the football pretty well. Uh, only had a long run of 17 yards. That was by Jace McClellan. A little bit there, maybe, what was it, third quarter. Um, Might have been the longest run of the game for Jalen, where he just gashes Kentucky. And Alabama came back with a couple of pass plays. You know, the first one was high percentage. You know, is that sort of zone read action and then get it to uh, get it to the receiver in the flat and then took a, a deep shot there to uh, Kendrick Law that went incomplete. Yeah, it was Jace up the middle on looked like split zone there in the third quarter, picked up 17 yards. So now you're at the Kentucky 38 and thinking, well, the worst that's going to happen here is three points. Well, Jalen off of zone read action, throws the little dump in the flat to Kobe Prentice that Kentucky is in great shape against, and it goes for a two-yard loss. Then you take a deep shot, uh, and then Alabama's hit with an illegal substitution uh, to put it in a third and 17. But look, give uh, give Jalen and the offense a lot of credit. It makes it all right on the third and 17 with the 30-yard completion, and that was one of those key moments where in a 14-point game in the second half, uh, once again, third down, not just a conversion, but an explosive play. And then if the wind wasn't already out of the Kentucky sails, it felt like it went out entirely at that point because Alabama – from the red zone there, gets the job done. Ultimately, Jalen on the designed run off of tackle, which you like. You like to see that in the red zone, don't you? Uh, Gets into the end zone, 35-14 game. And that was pretty much it. Mike checking in from Pennsylvania. Thanks for these instant analysis. No, Mike, thank you for tuning in on a regular basis. We certainly appreciate uh, you guys doing that. We know it's kind of a weird time for one of these, uh, the night games, uh, tend to maybe be a little more attractive, not as much going on in the mid in, in the, in those hours as there is maybe in the afternoon, but, uh, still plenty to talk about and still plenty that we'll have covered for you right there at BamaOnline.com. Uh, you're going to want to know more about the injury situation. Although again, with Tennessee Chattanooga coming up, shouldn't be as much of an urgent situation as there would be if the Iron Bowl was a week earlier. But you got a couple weeks, and you already have the SEC Western Division title clinched. No need. No need to go to Jordan-Hare with that on the line. Alabama takes care of business. Nick Saban talked about it. He talked in the postgame about trust and how he told this team yesterday that he trusted to get the job done. And again, from a morale perspective, to get guys playing time, you know, think about all the guys you saw in the fourth quarter, the second team offensive line, Wilkin Formby at right tackle, Ola Salinan at right guard, Darian Dahlcourt played some center. 
you had Terrence Ferguson in there at left guard. Um, Elijah Pritchett at left tackle. We didn't see Miles McVay, or at least I didn't. You saw receivers like Cole Adams get some run late in the game. Uh, defensively, you saw guys like Jordan Renaud, the freshman. Uh, a lot of guys went deep on that defensive line there in the second half. You were able to play Sean Murphy at inside linebacker and uh, Des Ricks at corner, Antonio Kite at corner. So uh, it, it, it helps. It helps. And then you go into a week like Tennessee Chattanooga where I think what you'll see is Monday won't be especially busy, I would think. I don't know if Alabama will go through its typical Monday with uh, with Tennessee Chattanooga coming up, but the opportunity will continue to be there for some of these guys. If the starters take care of business as we expect, could be a second straight week where some guys get some valuable opportunities to see the field. And, you know, you think about the potential, the upside for this team. This was another one of those performances that only stacks confidence onto what could ultimately be. And it also sends a message to uh, some of those in college football circles that think, ah, you know, Alabama, if it comes down to it, goes 12 and one, uh, beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, they, they should still probably be left out. Now, uh, if you're watching this Alabama team right now, and the way that it's playing right now, first of all, you, you don't, if you're Georgia, you don't like it. And that's not saying Georgia still can't win a game against Alabama. Georgia immensely talented. But the, the point is, this is the time in the season when the cream separates. And that's what you're seeing with rosters like Alabama's and Georgia's. And we're doing this before Georgia Ole Miss on Saturday night. I think, I think what happened in Alabama, Kentucky on Saturday could be similar to what happens with Georgia and Ole Miss Saturday night because uh, Lane can do some things, we know, offensively, schematically, uh, dialing things up, drawing things up to give his team a chance to at least hang in for a while. But November, man, that's when rosters show up the most. So a lot to consider as we move into the latter stages of November. This much we know for sure, though. It will be the Alabama Crimson Tide once again back in Atlanta to take on what we expect to be the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia's got to take care of business tonight. Georgia doesn't take care of business tonight, similar to Alabama had it not done what it did in Lexington. Could be looking at a trip to Knoxville with a little more on the line than it would like. Now, as we do this instant analysis, you've got Tennessee and Missouri uh, taking care of business out in Columbia, Missouri. So we'll see how that, it, I guess it just underscores, right? There's still a lot of football. I know it doesn't seem like it because uh, the end of November is rapidly approaching, but uh, it could be, it could be, uh, could be wild here down the stretch. Garrison Blaylock checking in. Roll Tide from Jacksonville, Florida. How about some Duval on instant analysis? 49ers, you are next. That's right. Jags 49ers uh, on Sunday down in Duval. Yeah, that'll be a big one on the NFL level. Looks like Joe Hall's checking in right now with us as well in the comments. How many of us would have believed after game three at USF that we would win the SEC West. Well, 
I don't think many people did, Joe. I think that's uh I think that's kind of uh why Alabama is is currently in terms of the eyes of maybe the CFP selection committee where it is because it, it seems like the last time some people took a good look at this Alabama team was Texas and maybe the reaction to what happened right after Texas at USF, but they may have to circle back. They may have to circle back. Todd Tipton, MVP for UK, the refs. Well, Todd, if they're the MVPs, they didn't do a great job because Kentucky still lost by 28 points. So uh, I hope uh, if, if that was the the deal for Kentucky, I hope they kept the receipt because uh, they didn't get their they didn't get their money's worth. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, you can talk about every game, certain plays. I know, again, you you think about the McKinstry muff and the play there on the sideline and the recovery. Uh, you think about even late in the game, Christian Story uh, and what looked to be a forced fumble. Uh, at first, at first glance, it did it looked to be a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. When you watch it again, both of those plays pretty close. And I think we know by now, if they're that close, the call on the field is going to be tough to overturn. I think that happened in both instances. But from a penalty perspective, Alabama okay, you know, especially for on the road. I think that's something that, you know, Nick's obviously going to harp on. Alabama with six accepted penalties against it for 64 total yards. You did have the one early on Caleb Downs in the end zone for pass interference. Tough play for Caleb in that situation. He's actually in good shape, uh, but it's a jump ball or just a heave. Alabama actually got nice pressure on Leary and forced him to just sort of throw it up. And to his credit, that's what he should have done in that situation. You got one-on-one coverage, throw it up in the end zone because if your guy doesn't make the play for you, um, Barry and Brown doesn't make the play for you, uh, you maybe get the P.I., and that's what happened. You had a defensive offsides against Dallas Turner. He got caught in the neutral zone there. I think that was uh, second half or so, second quarter, something like that. Yeah. Roughing the passer, we talked about that earlier. That was one where it was pretty clear. You know, that was a Paul to the head from Jamarian Latham to Devin Leary. And you like the aggressiveness, you know. Uh, one thing you didn't hear as much about a year ago, even with Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball is, man, these guys are ferocious. They play with an edge. Well, you're seeing that with this Alabama defense. You don't like that it comes on a third and 10. And as I said, went a long way in helping Kentucky get into the end zone there early in the third quarter and cut that Alabama lead to 28-14. But like to see Alabama when it's in that dime package where you can get Q Robinson on the field, which is Marion Latham, uh, Chris Braswell, Dallas Turner rushing the passer, Jahad Campbell does a, a nice job in that regard too. Had to play some Mac today in the dime with Deontay Lawson out. Uh, for Alabama, though, there was one, uh, the pass interference call, I think it was on C.J. Dupree there in the first half that was not good that wasn't pass interference it was a quick I think it was a quick hitch to Malik Benson who actually had his face mask grabbed on the play and that was called but it ended up being offsetting uh you had a holding call on JC Latham on a play in which Jalen worked his way out to the right and that's one of those where 
in that situation, any type of tug by the white hat or the other official back there is probably going to get called. And that one did. Uh, we talked about the illegal substitution penalty on Alabama there in the third quarter that put it in a third and 17, that it still hit for a 30-yard completion from Jalen Milrow to Kobe Prentice. That was a very big moment in putting that game to bed. And then another uh, pass interference call, this one on Cole Adams. We talked about Cole being out there in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was a nice ball, too, from Ty Simpson to Miles Kitzelman. Kitzelman kind of adjusted the route and got himself open. Simpson with a nice ball. So, again, we talk about some of these guys we don't see a lot and an opportunity to get some good stuff on tape. And that used to mean more so to help solidify yourself with your coaching staff. These days, it means because of the transfer portal, it might help you if you decide to take that route. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to be a spoiler after a 28-point win. But that is kind of the way things work these days. I mean, if we're being honest about how the mindset is probably for a lot of these guys, and it's not all that difficult to blame them with the opportunities that are available to them, sure, you would love for them to maintain their commitments and stay with the program four or five years. But we know what today's game is. So if you get these opportunities, it's almost a double-edged sword for the coaching staff. You need to get these guys experience because there's a real possibility you might need them in the not-too-distant future. But the other side of that is they're getting stuff on tape that could help them move to their next stop. Yeah, right? Big old Debbie Downer here. Who else do we have? Joe Hall. By the way, Travis, uh, your analysis is the best. Well, Joe. Well, you, you're Venmo, right? You're you're on Venmo, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, Roger says, "Why are you surprised? Maybe more excited more than normal." Well, Roger, it's earlier. You know, I'm an old fart, so it's only three thirty-six Central. You know, a lot of times I'm doing these at like midnight, so the old man, he's ready for the scratcher by that time. It's a little bit earlier in the day. And Roger says, also, do not forget, this is a very young team. It is. I mean, it's very encouraging to, to see it do what it is doing, again, with the likelihood that you're going to have a lot of these guys back in 2024. So this is looking more and more like a championship caliber team right now. But then when you start to think about the potential for 2024, uh, it is. It's exciting. Maybe, maybe even, Roger, a little more exciting than normal. How about that? That's going to do it for the latest edition of Instant Analysis. Thank you all for joining us here on the show and participating. As always, a lot of great stuff for you right now at BamaOnline.com. Charlie Potter, Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein, and myself from the team perspective. Um. You're also going to have recruiting coverage each and every day, nonstop with us at BamaOnline.com, whether it's our site publisher, Tim Watts, whether it's our senior recruiting editor, Andrew Bone, and of course, the invaluable one, Joseph Hastings. We're going to have you covered on the recruiting trail as well. We got basketball going on right now, so all hands on deck at BamaOnline.com. Come hang out with us on the roundtable or premium message board there. 
at BOL. We would appreciate that as well. Travis Ryer, thanking you again. And until next time, so long, everybody.